right, what's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 285. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Steve, and I'm here, as always, with... I'm Ron. And I'm John. And that's uh, that's the uh, tripod right there. That's the three of that's us. That's us. Yep. Connect those yep. dots. That's us. Um, how you guys doing this week? Pretty good, man. Uh, yeah, Ronald, you, you had a, you had a big couple, well, a big week. But you know, coming out of that, you have a lot of stuff going on, man. Like, by the way, congrats for the world to know. Congratulations, Ronald. Thank married. you. I got internet to married. the lovely to the lovely lovely Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So um, with it spelled with an I, not with a Y. Yeah, your wife with a Y, mine with an I. Um, your wife. <laughs> My wife. Sounds Your very wife. strange to say, but sounds really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Baltimore County Courthouse wasn't open for marriages, and um, we had actually planned a big wedding that was set to be on the seventeenth, and we couldn't do it, which was kind of yeah. heartbreaking to me. But we kind of had decided to get a house to get all the stuff, so I figured that we kind of plan it very close together so that it felt special almost like a like a wedding but not a wedding so definitely um definitely the other week we got married um the day that uh biden was inaugurated um and i i got a story about that in a second and then um we got married and then i we closed on a house that we had been looking at for a while um which i'm really excited about because this is you know i haven't been an adult you know, for a really long time. <laughs> and <laughs> it feels really strange to kind of step into my adulthood in this way. Now, do you mean so, like it's you haven't been an adult for very long? Or do you mean it's been a long time since you've been an adult? Or you've been never been. For, I don't think I've ever been. There's a, there's a lot of things that I, you know what I realized? There's like uh, markers that people have. Like, you know, I've, I've lived on my own for quite some time. But that wasn't the my marker because you can live with other people and it could kind of be like a dorm sort of situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a decent job. You know, I've always worked my whole life, worked since I was 13. So that never felt like special. But getting married feels really special and, and getting a house feels very special. And it'll be nice. You know, and getting a new that, president can feel pretty special. A new president, you did it yeah. all. Boom, boom, boom. I legitimately planned it on that day. So it all worked out. We have this remote wedding. It's over. But my mom's, but my mom's kind of says something in her, in her, uh, 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 my mom is also engaged, which is also really crazy. So she FaceTimes me afterwards and, and I'm like, where are you at? And she's like, I'm in DC. And I'm like, oh, cool. She's like, yeah, after this, we're going to walk to the inauguration. She, te <laughs> she texts me later. She's like, hey, you never go believe this. Um, so I'm talking and Cory Booker comes up to me and says, uh, your fiance was trying to come up with a way to, uh, you know, propose. And I gave him a couple tips as that's happening. Rosario Dawson comes and just like gives my mom the safest hug that she could give her in COVID. Uh, wow. and, and, you know, it, there's some magic to that. Uh, Hugged also, by a Jedi? Yeah, there's magic <laughs> yeah, to that. Really? Yeah. Does she? Does so, she even know? No, hell no, she doesn't know. And I, and I think, I, and I think I'll show when I show her, she'll be pretty impressed by that. So, um, yeah, but she knows yeah. Rosario Dawson's work. But you know, it's been a this weird set of events that have kind of happened. You know, some sadness because I couldn't celebrate it with my pop. But yeah. you know, it, it's 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 pretty pretty incredible. And I'm glad that everybody's 
at least seen some portion of it, you know, whether it was the celebration of it afterwards when we announced it, because a lot of people didn't know. You guys yeah. were some of the first to know. So I you, I you, you sent us a dummy link just to keep us busy for a while, <laughs> trying to log in while yeah. the actual Man. wedding was happening. Ten minutes. A trick link. A trick link. <laughs> they gave us ten minutes to get. Should have been Rick Astley. You know? <laughs> It was a ridiculous situation, man. What's Don't good? ever get married that way. Yeah. yeah, no, it's awesome. It worked out, man. Thank yeah, you so, so much. No, you, so, so happy Ron, for both Ronald, of you. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you. You, you were going to say it. Be- better than good, John. Better than good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sh- it's nuts, but thank you, man. Yeah, two no, beautiful no, no, people. I, I, just, just to say, too, like, you know, we we talk about it all the time on the podcast, talk about our families, mm. our friends, everything. You know, for the time that you've been talking on the podcast, off the podcast, us about Aaron and your plans for a life with her and everything like that, in all seriousness, super happy that you finally got to take that step and that that's Thanks. like official and, you know, that 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 you guys are one now. You know, it's pretty it's pretty awesome to, to not only know how excited you are about it and going into it and everything and to see it finally happen, you know. It's yeah. uh, all our all, 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 little, little side texts, like all the drama about like you getting the ring in time to propose. Oh. And I remember all that good stuff, you know, like it, we've all shared those stories at those points in our lives. Like we've had big things come up and, uh, you know, so it's nice to see a check off the list, two checks off the list for you. Mm-hmm. And, Thanks. Uh, you know, best of luck with everything, man. You getting a dog we- next? Yes. <laughs> that, you know, we were That's actually going to get a dog in COVID, man. We were actually planning on getting a dog. I want a small dog. I had I had a chow mixed before one of the most aggressive dogs i've ever had you know one of the most aggressive animals i've ever had any women that came near me bambi bambi q q from star trek the next generation would destroy (laughs) anybody any woman that came near me so i want a dog that's a little nicer uh to women and everybody else so (laughs) crazy but yeah dogs next I can't wait for you to see the house. That's been that's been kind of my like, really, you know. I can't wait for you guys to see the house. When when, when the world's safer and and better, we should do like a remote record at your house. Yeah, yes. like like sitting out on the porch, yes. like pr- appropriately distanced. Yeah, that'll yeah. be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. But how are you guys good doing? Stuff. Good stuff. You guys good? I mean, I didn't get married or buy a house or anything like that, but I got a new president. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that's that's like getting a new house. You did get a new house. Uh, yeah, and I know we're not, you know we get political every once in a while, but this is this is legitimately the start of something um, that isn't quite as divisive, that isn't quite as because you know whether yeah. people want to admit it or not, you know. I think people even on the other side will feel like that. Too. I think decency matters, and I like yeah. I, I like the idea that we are maybe even just temporarily clawing back in that direction. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It feels really good. Yeah, I don't think I've seen as many fist fights ever <laughs> in the past four years. Like viral videos of people just be like, "Who'd you vote for?" <laughs> it's just like what? Was, that's that even that shouldn't even be a thing. And I'm glad. That and it was not. weird that you were in half of them. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was man. Running and punches. How they were all. <laughs> 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 that's your signature move, right? Always that's in from the side. That's my signature move, man. A <sighs> running punch. We call it the Mortal Kombat because you kind of come in directly from the side. <laughs> mm, it's mm, a two dimensional mm. punch. <sighs> so uh outside of our personal lives what what uh news wise have we been, uh, been seeing here movie tv whatever anything you guys want to bring up and talk about before we get into the kind of guts of the episode mm. 
Oh, um, Ryan Coogler got an overall development deal, a five-year deal for Disney. Um, it looks like, I mean, you know, for 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 the for the casual viewer, you know, you just saw the Wakanda series, right? right. But he has quite a bit coming out, and uh, for context. Ryan Coogler has actually had his hand in some of the the Disney Plus Marvel stuff that's coming out. So, you know, we're going to see some mixing of the brands and the, the you know, thing, people we haven't seen together. Um, people are saying that maybe it may, he may have had some hand in Ironheart, which sounds really cool. So, um, yeah, man. Ryan Coogler, overall deal, five years, Disney Though he's in the Disney business, he's in the Wakanda business, and I think some of it kind of came from his him kind of touching things like Judas and the Black Messiah and stuff like that. They saw him touching that stuff and they're like, "Oh shit, <laughs> we got to the the mouse has to pay up." And it looks like he paid up, and Ryan Coogler's now part of the family for five years or so. so well, lock him down because that's lock, smart, right? Lock him down. <laughs> but also, the Wakanda series kind of answers that question that we all had about like what's a way forward for that for that series for that group of characters whatever you want to call it that franchise without yeah. chadwick boseman that doesn't feel disrespectful right. i mean i don't know if black panther 2 is still being talked about or if it's if they've explained how that might dovetail with this but to me the question of what can they do now what kind of the series seems like a shoe in because you can there's so many great characters you can follow um and you can still find some way to pay respect to that character without um, you know, recasting it or having someone immediately step into that role or something, which again, they can do, but I think everyone's going to be watching them very carefully. And knowing that it's Ryan Coogler that's kind of shepherding that stuff, yeah, it just feels right. What kind of people would Disney be if they didn't jump on this momentum of the past, you know, the diversity and, and, and just Black Panther being a good movie? Um, yeah, you, it's, you, you, look at, you look at every platform and like, like John kind of said before, you know, you want to you see them all kind of like just clamoring to like lock these people down, you know, to deals like you see, you know, some of these TV producers, showrunners jumping from network to network or network to streaming the Netflix or whatever. And then you kind of see you kind of see that graying a little bit where you see like filmmakers, writers, directors, producers, you know, kind of dipping in and out of those roles in these deals like Ryan Coogler is one of the best out there right now. And um he has a great run going right now. So it's like, you know, he's only on an upward trajectory. So it's like he's not tied down to Netflix or to Apple TV Plus or whatever it might be, even yeah. though he may be doing things with some of those places already prior to this overall deal. But it's just like you see, you know, Kugler, you see Taika, you see the Russo brothers and, you know, these filmmakers coming out of not only the Marvel system, but just like some of these other IPs that are floating around that are big theatrical IP. It, it's it's not it's 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 a given that like eventually all of them will have some sort of lockdown thing like Fincher has a deal now with Netflix you know you mm. see them just trying to find all of these filmmakers that are just really successful or on great runs and it's like we want them to be here and whether it's for series or for films or whatever ends up you know Kugler ends up doing he's a no-brainer and um you know he's made movies that have been you know in, in our top 10 lists for the past five years six years and uh you know whatever he has coming out next i think anybody uh is is excited for so yeah i mean that's a really big announcement for them and the series itself like the wakanda series yeah i mean obvious no-brainer like you know one of the 
one of the greatest world creations that they've done in any of the Marvel movies. Yeah. And you know, what better way to explore that in in you know than in a series on Disney Plus. So I, I'm very excited for that. Me too, man. Um I was gonna mention, did you guys see that they announced or finally announced an actual like direct sequel to Cloverfield? Really? Yeah, a couple of days ago they announced Whoa. um yeah, Paramount and Bad Robot. They're coming out with a um Joe Barton, who is a uh, the writer who I think took over the the Batman series that's coming to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. For um, he has been uh, brought on to write the movie, which is apparently not a found footage film. Oh, uh, but um, I don't know what capacity Reeves or JJ outside of producing, or if who ends up even directing this. But um, this has kind of been the first one that's. You know, outside of the Cloverfield universe that these movies have kind of hovered around, um, like Clover Paradox or Cloverfield Paradox. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Like, I love Cloverfield. I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. Not so much Cloverfield Paradox, but mm-hmm. I would be very interested to see a sequel to Cloverfield, especially something maybe a little uh, different than the found footage, um, just because I think they did a really good job with that in the first one and, like, kind of that couldn't be left alone. Like, I feel like they'd be kind of cool to see just a straight up, like what's next in this Cloverfield world that now that this kind of like monster or monsters, you know, exist. The um, big twist. This one's not a Cloverfield film. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what they'll do. They'll By call the it Cloverfield it out, too. Right? Yeah. And it's just going to be, Oh, that's, that would be crazy. But it's, that's incredible news, man. Like, I, I'm, I too, loved Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane was a cool thing that I didn't know that I, I wanted that was really well done. Just had the suspense, the drama. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a COVID film. Right. It's a, it is a COVID film. It's a COVID <laughs> film. <field. laughs> Ten COVID field lane. <laughs> it is a COVID film, but yeah, that's incredible. I didn't, I didn't know that, man. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this guy's. in the guy, uh, this uh, Barton, he actually apparently has a movie that's done called Invasion, really, which is a alien invasion movie that Riz Ahmed and Octavia Spencer they have coming out on Amazon okay. Prime sometime soon. So uh, I'll watch anything with Riz in it. Oh my God! Right? Yeah. God, man. Um, um, what else? What else? What else? What else? John, anything you want to mention? Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, something I just have been witnessing. I don't know if you, either of you have been following this, but they've announced the release date of the Snyder cut. Yes. It's March 18th. And there's been this sort of renewed war of words or maybe never quite simmering down, but like this, the Ray Fisher versus DC Warner brothers war of words. It's a very peculiar thing because, you know, they investigated his claims about abuse on the set of justice league, specifically from Joss Whedon as enabled by certain executive producers and, you know, uh, folks that were working on that side of things. Right. Um, and apparently this probe found that the stuff wasn't sufficient to go any further with it. And Ray Fisher has said he'll take a lie detector test, but he has also said he won't be involved in any further DC projects until they, I mean, it's just, it's a constant back and forth about what's really going on. But the most recent thing I've heard is him saying he will do everything he can to promote Zack Snyder's cut because the, and DC can't stop him, you know, but that he's trying right. to sort of make a stand against,
against the other aspects of of DC. Anyway, I don't know. To me, it's just been a you know, in some ways, that is such a shit show and a clusterfuck. And every story that you hear is just one more thing that's like, what a weird movie. But at the same time, you know, the Snyder cuts. Toxic fandom or no, um, uh, you know, whatever you think of that, that movie's coming out and people are going to get to see how different the vision was. And I think it'll be sufficiently, I, I think it'll be different now because they've had millions of dollars and time to go and make it different. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess we've talked about that part of it enough, whether we're curious about it. We all are. Um, but, you know, just this media circus around it, it does seem like... Um, I even hesitate to call it a circus because I think what Bray Fisher is going through seems to be very real and yeah. like traumatic. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think of all that? If, you know, if you have any thoughts. I, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I've, I've been in situations where things felt very strange and sometimes um, piecing it together can be very hard, you know, unless you have an email trail or something like that or footage you know, it, it's you can't really build grounds for legal action. Um, obviously, you can start a, a social media movement, but I I do understand personally, very personally, how it feels to, to to be in a work situation that feels like there's some race effect in it. Um, you know, right. being told to be a, a represent. Uh, a representation in certain situations like you know uh one of my jobs like i was just sent to be in black uh meetings like they had like you know uh, education sort of organization and they'd be like hey ronald you can you can help do it for this one you know set this meeting up when you know because it's just presence you know they see right. the black guys helping them out so that 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 makes them feel more comfortable i'm i'm the first person that they see when meetings start you know mm -hmm. steve you know yeah. when you're when you're probably on campus it's the same thing you're you're in front of the the, the computer you're setting up all the yep. people that are coming from outside so there's yep. an immediate connection so i i felt i felt that feeling before and so to see this sort of play out the way that it is i kind of feel like he could go out a little differently it feels like he's going down like like the end of Terminator, his hand is cut. Into the, it feels like that. He's a robot, and it just feels like he's just kind of at the end. Does not feel good. So I don't know. I, I don't like the way it feels. Well, I mean, here's the thing that I think does see. I think Warner's or DC was hoping to kind of give Joss Whedon this kind of soft reprimand. You know, he seems to be like. You know, he's he's he stepped down from that HBO project that he was working on, that show, The Nevers, that just released a trailer. And it looks like the most kind of warmed over Joss Whedon <laughs> stuff you've ever seen. <laughs> looks like it might be kind of cool pr production values, but I don't know. It, it definitely has Joss Whedon written all over it from mm. the trailer they just released. Um, anyway, I, I, I think a lot of times they want to sidestep actually digging in, like you're saying, Ronald. Uh, and yeah. maybe like if there's an actual accounting to be done, if there's not that direct proof, it's safer for them to just sort of quiet quietly gosh i'm i'm not trying to compare joss whedon to these vile people but it's like the the catholic church moving a priest to a to a new oh, uh, yeah, diocese yeah. or whatever where it's like well we dealt with the problem we took him out of the situation and we're reprimand but we're trying not to go we're trying not to bring the law into this in a way and we're yeah, trying not to do yeah. anything that reflects badly on us so like let's move him off this project he'll step down from this he'll kind of right. you know whatever we're not going to hire him again um but i mean the fact that ray fisher is kind of uh, you know, continuing to press the point, I do think it speaks to, like I said, some 
something unresolved for him that seems really deep. And um, yeah, I know what you mean, Ronald. You, you can't prove it. You know, you it's yeah, especially if you've been gaslit already. That's the whole premise is that, yes. you know, they that the the fix is in, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But on the gun end of it, um, there's been a lot of buzz around um, Joker's new appearance. So Jared Leto kind of put his faith in uh, whatever the Snyder Cut was supposed to be. And one of the one of the terms of that was kind of a reinvention of the Joker. So there's been rumors, you know, a lot of uh, critics on the higher end, the more established ones, have actually seen what he looks like. Uh, it apparently is a two-parter where this, the top part really matters and then the bottom part is very different in comparison. So I don't know what that means. Mm. But apparently his appearance is supposed to be pretty significantly different and, and it oh. will stir people up to, for, for him maybe to show up again. So. You think it's a Krang situation where yeah, he has like know, some kind of man. face in his think, chest? Like, what the I'm hell? the real Joker. <laughs> I that would be that would be crazy if it's like his face and then like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Jack Nicholson <laughs> in his stomach. God, that would be crazy. Um, they can't I get think... Jack Nicholson, so they bring in Mark Hamill because he does the cartoon <laughs> voice. You know, right, they right. Do. They get they get who they can get. I do think it's the cut though. I think yeah. it's the face. I think it's like the um. So, Steve, I'm a huge fan of death, this comic book, Death in the Family, where uh, Joker dies for a year. And then when he comes back, his face is sewn onto his he, he's skin. He's got like a yeah, face like, that's like strapped on, like barely yeah, rather on than like <laughs> rather than like surgically. Re it's yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. Barely on his face. And, and then it's when like he comes stretched so that the eyes are, you know, it's it's yeah. it's it's meant to be like turning him into like a, the total horror character in a way. Yeah. Um, and then he beats everybody in the police station with a crowbar, which is insane. Yeah. But yeah, and and I think that what they're trying to do is make it a d darker sort of thing. You know how Snyder is. So you're not saying they're I'm, going gritty with this. I I think they're going really gritty. Oh, so geez. to see Jared Leto excited about a movie that he he potentially may have ha been left on weird terms. Now if he can get, get me excited? if he can get me excited, yeah. then it'll be the. I don't know about Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's the yeah. I watched an interview where he was like turned like this the whole time. It was the strangest thing, and it almost was like when he laughed, it was like he had to laugh. It was like, oh, okay, social he, cues tell a, he's me he's a weird dude, man. He's a yeah. weird dude. <laughs> I mean, like, like I res like I respect him, like you know what he does with his acting and his band and like whatever he's got going, on, I can respect it. But yeah, like watching all of his press for the little things, like. You know, so it was better. It, it was better than most press I've seen him do, to be honest yeah. with you. But like, just some of his, uh, he, he's like, like I almost feel like he has like a lack of emotion. Like he's yeah. so calm and metered, like with everything <laughs> he says. Like even when he laughs, it's kind of like a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's so slow. It's like it's no so real crazy. emotion comes out. So I don't know. He's a very serious guy. He's crazy. You Maybe, know, he didn't know about. So sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe when you're that kind of immersive actor, you don't have a real personality after a while, you know? Like, maybe. It's, it has I mean, to be I, I, I I met him a long time ago. Like, really? Pre, well, like, this is when I was, like, still in college. Like, he, the, his 30 Seconds of Mars played at Towson. Mm. And, uh, like, I got the, I met him then, like, my, my myself and my girlfriend at the time. And, I mean, he definitely was, like, super, you know, odd. But he was very, like, much, like, talking and, like, very, like, emotive. And, like, he was very, like, charismatic. And, I mean, he is that. 
But mm. I mean, like he he was more like conversational. Like again, okay. that was a long time ago. But gotcha. I mean, now every time I see him, you know, he looks so like so. I, I don't know. I want to say like he looks so like zen, almost yeah. like he's zen out of the yeah. moment. And he's maybe just he like... was on coke then, and he does edibles now. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what it is. You know, he said times that change. He did... Times change. He didn't know that COVID happened. He was like, I remember that. Yeah, at a camp. He like came out of some retreat or something, and <laughs> whatever, whatever. He had to do the uh, most Jared Leto thing. He was like, what's the most Jared Leto headline possible? He, he did not know. Yeah. It's so crazy. Right. Um, uh, all right. Well, let's move on. Let's uh, go next topic. Um, I don't know if we talked about this prior, any other episodes, but this 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 past week or the week between these two episodes uh, was the annual Sundance Film Festival, which um, because of COVID and the world that we've lived in for the past year now, which is crazy that it's almost a year. Um, yeah, so like they kind of experimented with uh, some sort of, you know, a virtual uh, festival. I do think there were some like in-person, like drive-in things, like on mm -hmm. locations out, you know, across the country. But for the most part, those participating were doing it virtually. And uh, so, if, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that now. I know, Ronald, I know you probably did attend it more than any, or than either John or myself did, but... Um, you want to talk a little bit about, like, I guess your overall experience with the whole virtual uh, nature of it all? Sure. I mean, it kind of came down to the wire, honestly. You and I, you and I, and 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 um, John were talking about just seeing movies for Sundance, and it kind of hit us pretty quickly. Tom is yeah a little strange. It's weird in yeah. in, in in COVID, but you know, find yeah, after finding out, I did a bunch of research and I saw six movies. Um, I went oh. in. I went ham, as they say. Go you. And, um, it, it's it's it was an incredible experience. If once you learn the system, the problem is there wasn't a tutorial that was just like here's how it works, and you had to kind of find out, stumble upon it, right? Because there yeah. were there were times when some of the so I I chose some of the bigger picks. I would pick one, it would be sold out, and then it would it would appear again. Which was very strange. And that was something that they didn't say would ever happen. But I had this faith that maybe somebody would drop out of the film or return a ticket or something like that, right? So right. six movies in uh, about three days, three three days or so. Um, it was nuts. But, you know, I got Aaron involved and I think she really enjoyed it. But overall, it was once you find out how it works, it's incredible. Like yeah. second to none, one of the better experiences I've ever had looking at films this way. And I felt like I was a part of the process. When are we ever going to go to Utah? We've been doing the po podcast for, what, uh, several years and haven't been able to make it out there. But this offers something where, you know, we can have something to contribute. We've all seen some movies from yeah. Sundance. Yeah, no, it's funny because like I think uh, I definitely wish I could have done more. I saw two movies, um, kind of very last minute, like just mm -hmm. trying to try to catch something for the podcast, and some different movies so we could all kind of talk about some different things. But I think, um, you know, in general, I feel like there's a lot of conversation going into this week that like Sundance was very light this year, mm. and even when you kind of look at like some of the acquisitions, even though. Apple like purchased Coda, which is one of the buzzed about movies this year, and I think it won like four of the, four, three or four of the major awards this morning, the day that we're recording this, um, including like, I think the Grand Jury Prize, the Audience Award, and some uh, performance prizes. But 
that was a huge acquisition by Apple for like I think it was twenty five million dollars. But I mean, mm. in terms of like marquee titles, big titles, I think year over year in general, there was a lot of talk about this kind of being a light year for obvious reasons. You know, like because of COVID, because of maybe things just weren't finished production. I, I don't really know. You can probably make some educated guesses as to why that's the case. But in general, as I started to kind of step through the program and read more about some of these titles, there were a lot of interesting movies here. And, um, you know, documentary films, features, genre stuff, like we kind of tried to spread it out a little bit. But I was really impressed in general with uh, with the program in general, the program itself in general. And I, I kind of wish that like these big festivals like that we always talk about wanting to go to this mm. and specifically for me toronto is like the one i need to do in my life um i i kind of like wish that there was some sort of always if there would always be some sort of virtual element to these yes. kinds of things you yes. know just the idea of opening it up um to people like us who talk about movies every week together um, being able to be a part of it in some way and to experience um some of these movies so early and some of these movies won't come out until the end of this year, maybe next year even. Yeah. Um, like last year's big movie was Minari, and like that's just now rolling out in theaters, obviously because of COVID. But it's just there's a lot of buzz to go around these festivals, and this is the first time that we've ever really been able to be a part of it. And um, that was like sitting down in my living room. Like I got one of those big uh, beanbag chairs, pull it up to the TV. You know, mm. once you figure out the the way the platform runs – you know, um, just basically throwing the on the app on my phone and throwing it to airplay on my TV and just like sitting back, get the you get the intro from the filmmakers, you get the Q and A yeah. afterwards. It was really slick. I thought the platform was really brilliant, and I think that the only thing you could probably provide feedback on, like you said, is just maybe just streamlining exactly how it worked. I don't think I had that many trouble with that many problems with it outside of kind of getting the app itself activated. Mm. Um. Because I think that that there's a pin you had to find that was kind of yeah. buried in your account, but um, that's really the biggest feedback. I mean, is maybe just like streamlining that that first that first viewing experience. Um, but in general, man, it was really cool to yeah. be able to pay 15 bucks to get a ticket, and you know, I saw a lot of second screening films. So you know, the way they had it going was. The premieres were like, you know, you watched it and you, you know, like that was the premiere. You watched it. And I don't know. I think there, I don't know if there was a time limit on those exactly, but the second screenings that rolled out, which a lot of festivals do, they'll make the big premiere screenings. And then a lot of those have the Q and A's, but the second screenings, if you, if you purchase those, like you could basically um, watch them within a 24 hour window of when yep. that showing was. You know, once you started it, you had four hours to finish it. You could pause it. You could rewind it. You could stop it. You could start it. That's really cool. And I think that's a really interesting approach to do this. And I think, you know, I'm maybe if there's some way to do this in the future to come by include people Sorry. that can never get to a festival like Sundance or like Toronto or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know. I had a lot of fun just participating in the small way that I did. Um, and I And hopefully, you know. We'll talk about some of the movies here in a second, but what what was your overall take, John? I mean, like, what did you, what was your experience with getting into it? You know, how you picked the movie you wanted to check out, or, or what was your overall take on it? I mean, it was I, I will echo a lot of what you two have said in the sense that it was it was kind of exciting just to like 
look at the Sundance roster and and pick what I wanted to see from home. This access, this this like mythical access that you that you hope for with yeah. with these festival movies, and you do wait a year sometimes afterwards to see it. So in that sense, it was very much like okay, um, like. I'm reading this review of this movie that just screened at Sundance and I'm able to go to the site and see there's a second screening in a couple days yeah. or whatever and jump on and get a ticket. And then I suddenly became very excited. Uh, and that's what happened with the movie that I saw. And um, I would have liked to have seen more. But even even without that festival experience of seeing a bunch of movies, I felt excited. And I didn't know about the 24-hour window or whatever. I just knew the movie was scheduled for a certain time. And so I was I set alarms. on. I put on my, <laughs> my calendar. I had my phone going. I told my wife, I was like, hey, there's a movie tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. I'm going to watch and I got to watch it, you know, because I thought there was a four-hour window. The verbiage on the site said there's a four-hour window. And then I think maybe they right after that, they started making it clear that anything that hadn't sold out was still available for you to screen within a certain like a day or whatever you said, Steve, <clears throat> Steve. Yeah. But um, no, it was uh, I liked that. I liked that feeling of excitement. I think I told you guys the fact that it was like a slightly inconvenient time that I didn't decide and it, and I had to be ready for it. It made me nostalgic for going to see movies in a way that I did not expect, like yes. just having it yeah. be set at yeah. a time. And also, like I finished watching it and then within a couple hours, maybe even within an hour, I saw two or three people I knew on Facebook and different places on social media saying, just watch the Sparks documentary. So glad I made time for this. And I was just like, Man, it got me. I mean, honestly, even talking to you now, I'm getting I'm getting tingles. Not because um, yeah. I guess I tip my hand what movie I saw, the Sparks documentary, the Sparks Brothers, directed by Edgar Wright. But it was it was just that feeling of having seen a great movie and there being some buzz about something, and it did make me feel both like, oh wow, yeah, I miss going to see movies, but also um, this festival thing, just this feeling of like, did you see that? Oh my gosh, that was great. You know, I don't know, word of mouth, it's really fun. <laughs> It is. It is. Um, and it's fun to feel like you're part of it, you know, from yeah. the from the onset. And I will add one thing. I have a friend who's a wheelchair user who when COVID kicked in and quarantine happened and all this remote everything started happening, uh, they said this just proves how easy it would have been all along to provide yes. a remote yeah. option. Uh, so that's my yeah, thought sure. on that. <clears throat> you know, it's it's crazy you say that, you know, I've it's just a simple thing, man, that, that just makes things more accessible to people. You know, you do, um, you know, you do shows with people that are wheelchair chair users or just, you know, can't walk around the way that they want to. You know, it's, it's just a thing that should be emphasized more. Like, are these things accessible to people? Um, it's, it's super arrogant to say, oh, man, we're just going to have this thing and not have it be ac accessible to people that are and and. There's a lot of writers, there's a lot of critics that just are wheelchair, happen to be wheelchair users. That I don't understand why people don't make space and opportunity for people to be able to have access to media the way that, you know. I, something I kept thinking about, like during the movie I was watching, like it was like, like COVID has done for many different venues and different, you know, topics of conversation, like, it's really forced you to kind of readdress like missed opportunities all along. So it's like, um, you know, you think of a festival and you think of like, you know, just the existence and the funding and how they raise money and all these things. And, you know, you've got to think that not only Sundance, but other festivals, you know, are looking at things like this and saying, you know, when they kind of start to release, I'm sure they'll release like numbers in terms of how attendance was and things like that. 
that there's I almost feel like there's going to be some sort of a hope and I'm optimistic that there's going to be some sort of like virtual element to a lot of these in the future. Even if it's like more limited or certain level of showings or whatever it might be. But I mean, it's such an untapped resource of income for these things. If you just want to get down to like money, you yeah. know, like, you know, we, but between us, you know, we're talking that we you know, picked nine movies total, you know, that would have never happened, you know, and that's just the three of us, you know, there's people across all over the world that participated in this that right. would have never had an opportunity to. So it's like, it's, it's an eye opening kind of missed opportunity maybe. Um, and that's kind of like a silver lining of this whole thing is maybe that in the future we'll have some more access and maybe have a way to be involved in years to come. But um, let's talk about some of the movies that we saw. So uh, I guess Ronald, we want to throw out just kind of like, we'll just kind of go through each of us and just talk about what we saw, some general feelings about them. And and then we'll get to our final topic of the episode. Um, I saw a movie. The first one that I saw was a movie called first date, um, which is a small indie film. Um, I don't know much about any of the cast. They're virtually unknowns, but the the, the movie is about a first date and a kid hmm. that wants to impress someone that's in the area, so he gets uh, a car, which happens to have <laughs> uh, parts, things from a from a big time drug dealer in the area, and it gets fucking insane. There are shootouts, there are <laughs> action scenes, lots of people die. It is a a weird movie that kind of revolves around two kids that want to go out on a date. And 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 funny, the date stuff is very innocent. And then everything around it is, is brutal. And, you know, I didn't love it, but I thought it was a solid movie, man. I, and I think if I give it a second watch, I bet I'll like it a little more once I got comfortable with the tone. Um, the next movie I watched was Try Harder, uh, Debbie Lum. Uh, so it's about a school in um, San Francisco, primarily Asian populated, top ranked school and in, in one of the top ranked schools in the country. And basically it's about the program that they go through to kind of start preparing themselves for college. It's, it's really good. And it's mainly just about managing expectations and how the world can hit you in the head. You know, it's kind of strange. Um, the kids are so charismatic and funny. And, you know, perceive, the perception is like, you know, nerdy kids or whatever they they label themselves as can be boring and sort of, uh, uh, you know, not interesting. But this is a really cool film with a lot of diverse ideas and uh, about life in the future. It's really cool. OK, so next, Marvelous in the Black Hole, uh, Kate Shang. Uh, it stars uh, this newcomer called Meyer Ketch. I think that's her last name. Uh, Leonardo Nam and Rhea Perlman. Rhea Perlman plays a magician that kind of introduces magic to a kid that's uh, going through a tough time. And it's a coming of age film. So well done. Um, this kid, this kid Maya, is, is somebody to watch out for, man. She is a force. She's only 13 and she plays 13. Wow. So she has a long career ahead of her. This is a this is a film to watch. You will cry. You you will lose your shit a little bit. Uh you will laugh. It's a great movie. Um next is Gerard Carmichael directed On the Count of 3. Um it's written by Ari Ketcher who has written for the Carmichael show and Rami and it stars Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott. 
Um, it's about two friends that make a suicide pact. And it's their last day, uh, or what they perceive to be their last day. You know, after they, they're like, oh, we're going to kill each other at the same uh, at the end of the day. Let's go through our day. Let's get everything done that we wanted to get done. It is insane. It's one of my favorites. Um, really cool concept. Um, Gerard Carmichael is plays it really natural. And, you know, Christopher Abbott, if you know him from Girls or anything, he's really good. Uh, Night of the Kings, Felipe uh, Lacote. Let's say, uh, okay. Uh, Night of the King is about a Ivory Coast prison uh, with some people that just, uh, it's about a storyteller known as a Roman. Uh, a kid comes into a prison and becomes the Roman who uh, tells stories to all of the prisoners in the entire prison. This this is one of the rawest movies I've ever seen in my life. One of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. Check it out. Together Together, uh, directed by Nicole Beckwith. Um, it stars Ed Helms and uh, trans comedian Patty Harrison. It's about a 40-something-year-old man that wants a surrogate, and Patty Harrison's character volunteers. And uh, it's a really emotionally moving uh patty's gonna be a voice in raya and the last dragon uh for context and she's also in the hulu show shrill um really good movie i suggest it it as soon as you hear this thing comes out go see it um and then the last one which is probably my favorite is the rebecca hall uh directed passing starring tessa thompson ruth nega uh andre holland um Bill Camp and Alexander Skarsgård. Wow. This thing is nuts. It is is done in black and white. It's actually um you know uh, 480. Uh it's really it is a masterpiece. When I think about Sundance, when I think about art being pushed forward, I think about movies like Passing, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. Um and for for all of you that don't know, Rebecca Hall's a great actress with her in her own right. This yeah. is crazy this was a, a film that was written during the harlem renaissance um uh, a novella and it's about uh ruth nega's character who uh is passing she is a lighter skinned black woman that is passing as white and she runs into an old friend tessa thompson and it's explosive a little bit like it, it just is a very crazy look at class in race and perception and and you realize that despite this movie taking place in like the 40s not much has changed um so that is my roundup of movies i've seen i don't mean to talk too much i hope that i said it fast enough that no that, that was great do, do you have a particular favorite <clears throat> so i'd say i have i have three that are like no 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 so okay all right so a if favorite I a favorite. <laughs> Fuck, I'd say passing. And then close right under that, I'd say Marvelous in the Black Hole. That is a, it's a, I don't know, man, it's magic. It's one of those, like, the way that Wes Anderson, no, a good Wes Anderson movie kind of gets you. Mm -hmm. um, the combination of animation and stop motion and st <laughs> strings and stuff like that combined with just 
heart strings wow strings. like marionettes <laughs> yeah they do all kinds of stuff no man. no just strings just strings, no, just strings. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah I, that's saw, more... I saw that i saw that passing um netflix bought that so that netflix be, oh my yeah man. apparently they paid like 15 million for it so that's like a worldwide distribution yeah steve that's that's winning awards that year like, i can't wait to see it unreal cool what about you guys well, um, I'll go next. John, you can round us out since you teased yours already. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I saw two movies. I saw a documentary called At the Ready, which is uh, from uh, Maisie, Maisie Crow, who did, uh, what was the documentary? Jackson, about like the anti-abortion uh, documentaries on HBO Max right now. So this doc is about, um, basically follows a group of like kids in El Paso, Texas, that are in this school program training to be like police officers, security guards, border patrol agents, things like that. Um, so it's kind of it kind of piqued my interest only because earlier this year I talked about um, the documentary Boy State, which is like one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, kind of similar, only in the sense that you know it's kind of following these kids that maybe you at least hope maybe like they're not fully formed in terms of their opinions, their judgments. Like you know they're still open to. Uh, learning about the world and maybe about the things that they're being trained to do. Um, but it really is kind of, it was kind of interesting, you know, kind of a, a look at, you know, just law enforcement as a culture, um, you know, and I guess that may be being why it may be so hard to change a lot of that in this country. Um, but it, it's cool. Like it does the same kind of thing where, you know, you follow like two or three key of uh, kids, you know, the students, um, you know, different from one another uh, in many ways and just kind of like kind of how they're confronting some uh, differing opinions and things that kind of co conflict with their personal lives in terms of what they're learning in this this, this program. But um, yeah, it's pretty good. I liked it. Uh, I don't think that got picked up yet. And then the other one I saw was called Coming Home in the Dark. And this was kind of the one that I had seen a teaser a couple weeks ago for um, that looked kind of interesting to me. But basically... It's just a family kind of runs into these, you know, these two drifters on the way home from a trip. And um, slowly the story kind of peels away at some sort of connection that one of the drifters has to the father um, of this of this uh, family. And oh. um, it, it, it's it's very it's very tough watch. It's kind of brutal, especially in the first act and uh, to the point that Aaron kind of dipped out and didn't want to watch it anymore. Um not in like any kind of gory or grotesque way. Just it's it's some these these drifters. These guys kind of do a do a number on this family, um, mm. but uh, but I liked it a lot actually. I think that the guy who wrote and directed it, James Ashcroft, is kind of like one of these genre guys. I feel like these always they kind of pop out of these festivals every so often. Like you know, John had mentioned Ben Wheatley earlier, but just um, you can kind of see this guy kind of taken off from this. I mean. The, the movie kind of runs out of steam towards the end of it. Um, you know, there's a lot being said in the first and second act that really kind of build. There's a lot of great slow tension. You know, these the, the car ride with, you know, the, 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 the two guys that kind of take the a couple of the family members on a ride. And it's very tense. And, you know, some of it really, really works well. Um, like, kind of falls apart a little bit at the back end of it. But still, even still, like, some really good performances – I'm not familiar with this guy, but um, I guess uh, what he's known for the the TV series, um, it's called The Originals. It was like a CW series, mm. but Daniel, I think his name is Daniel 
Gellies? Gellies? I don't know. He plays one of the drifters, like the the kind of leader of these the, this duo, and um, he is great in it. Like he is super fucking creepy and mm. very intimidating, and just um, yeah, just somebody you don't ever want to. God damn, like don't ever want to run into, you know. And it's all it, it takes place in New Zealand. It was shot in New Zealand. It's beautiful. So like you know, just the scope of like this this overtaking of this family by these guys uh, with this beautiful backdrop of like this vast space in the New Zealand. Um, oh, guys, it was it was really kind of it was really interesting. But yeah, I definitely like that one a lot. Um, I, I just I'm very interested to see what this guy does next and. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking that one out. I don't think that one got any distribution yet, um, but hopefully it's available somewhere to watch because it's a pretty solid thriller. Um, that one's called Coming Home in the Dark, and those are those are the two that I saw. Yeah, that movie cool. sounds like one of those movies that I want to see, but I'm also like, why do I want to see that? Like, why do I want to be put on blast <laughs> uh, or, you know, have my nerves put on blast like that for, right, right, for right. you know, yeah, a whole right. run of a movie? Especially because as a family, I don't know, that element always makes it so much more... Because those roles, yeah, there's like, kids you, involved, and it's like the kid. That's the like some of that stuff is the tough stuff to watch, and that's when Aaron was like, "I'm out." Yeah, but I mean, even yeah, if it's but, just psychological, the idea that you're tearing something apart, you know, that that yeah. you could then leave that situation, and you've left a family in some kind of ruin, you know, uh, that to me is yeah. uh, um, even if everyone survives, it, then it still can be so traumatic. <clears throat> Mm. Apparently, traumatic is my buzzword of the episode. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the the movie that I saw, as I said, was the Sparks Brothers, which is a documentary about the uh, you know art rock band Sparks. Uh, the, they started out in the late '60s under the name Half Nelson, and they put out an album under that name, and then they kind of got rebranded as Sparks and re-released that album. And ever since then, it's just been a run of I think 25 records uh, uh, in you know in the last. What, what is that now? Almost 50 years um, yeah. of, uh, you know, varying degrees of of acceptance by a, a kind of quasi mainstream following like there. They have had hits that they, they did have, you know, label interest at, at every turn, though, every couple, three albums. And the movie kind of talks about this. They sort of made choices that were based on art and creativity and not not based on a career. And so it is a movie where even if you're not interested in their music or if you actively don't like their music because their music is interesting and I love it and I always have and they've influenced all the people that I think are cool so they've always been that name that I heard like oh Sparks, yeah. Sparks, Sparks but um, even if you don't like their music it's one of those documentaries about a band where like there's a story being told about like devotion to your craft and art and not being compromising and um, you know, they're very funny. It's a very funny movie. Edgar Wright loves these guys. The, the thrust of the documentary is definitely that idea of of an art project, you know, that is also a band. And they happen to have, again, if you yeah. if you know their stuff, they have songs you can tell like, oh, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that grabs the mainstream. Or they were ahead of the curve with certain things in their career, like electronic music and um different mixes of styles and you know using humor and music is is a great way to draw certain people to your music and turn other people off and the documentary kind of addresses that but it's more about just that these guys have been around doing it for that long and they're you know it's one of those it's still the same core members they do change out bands every so often uh there are several former members in the documentary who talk about that kind of being left by the side of the road but they all seem to have admiration for the project and so they say i understand that the nature of this project was that that uh, they would eventually turn their, you know, if they brought me in 
the band, they would eventually probably turn away because they brought me in after turning away from someone else. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's just a, it's just a, I found it very moving in the uh, these guys have never stopped working way. But I also found it very funny. And, you know, the way documentaries use animation to kind of patch over places where they don't have video. This movie really has very fun to watch clever creative animation everything from stop motion puppets to claymation to very simple uh like hand-drawn animation and it's almost like that drunk history thing of when you have the the two guys in the band sparks uh are the it's the movie's called the sparks brothers but that's actually like a misnomer they hate that that people think their name is sparks <laughs> um but they're the the male brothers m-a-e-l and it's it's russell and ron and um they're from california i always thought they were british that's a thing they oh. talk about in the movies that people tend to think they were European because they seem that way. But hearing them talk in this kind of laid back uh, California drawl, like one of the guys kind of sounds like Ted Levine, kind of kind of talks like this down here, you know. And it's like, <laughs> well, uh, when we were making this album, and it's just a surprise because it seems like they are larger than life characters. But the movie does this great thing of showing you their life. Um, and it shares certain things about their childhood that make their relationship really poignant, like why they lean on each other so much and why they're brothers who depend on each other and have such an understanding. But any partnership like that is beautiful to watch in motion. You know, people who have each other's back and a, a project that is fueled by that, by that kind of closeness. Um, the movie does not demystify them, even as it gives you that window in. So it's in some ways, to me, it's like the perfect music documentary. But it's also just that Edgar Wright was the perfect guy to to address this this band's humor that is both sincere and absurd you know like it fits perfectly in with his aesthetic so he made a a really good edgar wright movie that happens to fit into their style um and i think you know it, it is almost exhaustive that's the one thing about it too if you're a fan of the band they don't really skip an album or skip a an era of the band like some documentaries will kind of gloss over things so if it feels a little long um which it didn't necessarily feel long to me but it did feel like wow they're not missing a beat you know when they get to a certain year you go yep they're going through and they're just now getting to 2000 um so uh yeah i recommend it the sparks brothers i don't know if this this seems like a, a shoe-in for some kind of distribution but i didn't see any any official notice of uh, like an, a release date but um, I'm sure this will be coming someplace soon to someplace that's that's very accessible because it seems like it was kind of a big movie of the festival. Yeah, the trailer looked great. I, I can't wait to see it. So is Edgar Wright, did Edgar Wright produce it or anything? Because I, I he directed see his it. name. Okay, gotcha. It. I see his name everywhere. It's like and his Edgar voice Wright. is, you know, when you hear the interviewer's voice occasionally in a documentary, yeah. it's him. He conducts all the interviews. Oh, wow. And I think it helps because it meant that he could turn to everybody he was dealing with and say, are you a Sparks fan? And if they said yes, he could be like, okay, Beck, come talk about Sparks, oh, you know? So wow. it's like, it's cool to get those people. Scott Ackerman is in it for a, a few scenes. Like it's got different people that you just love to see that yeah. again, I kind of know, oh yeah, I've heard these people talk about music that I like. Um, and there is something about that too. I just I will add that note, that idea that this is kind of an underground band in a way that's been underground for that many years. This movie is going to define them for a much more mainstream audience, provided this documentary you know, comes out the way that I expect it to do. So that's going to be an interesting thing for this band. This movie kind of defines them in a way that they have managed for 15 years to avoid being defined. You know, So yeah. it almost feels like a creative choice on their part to say, yes, a documentary is not like a bad artistic move somehow. You know, um, right. And if you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. It does. It looks behind the curtain, but not so much that you feel like, OK, I know I know all about these guys. So 
Yeah, I really, I mean, I've, I really loved it. I was kind of buzzing from it, both from the, it was a good movie and like creatively, I love documentaries about creative people that leave me feeling that way, just inspired. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, the trailer was unreal, man. I'm like, this, this looks, yeah, looks really good. good. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. So, I mean, yeah, so that, that, that'll, I guess that's the Sundance experience that we've had. I mean, yep. obviously we all had a very positive experience definitely if it happens in the future that they allow people to do this again highly encourage people to participate if you if you're able to and um we'll try to keep posted at least the, the at least of the movies that we saw um if anything kind of gets picked up and it's going to be coming out and available you know to, to our listeners you know if you want to check out these titles like i said passing i know should be coming to netflix at some point uh in the following year but um you know the other ones if we get some news we'll, we'll make sure we update you guys on the podcast about those um, I guess before we get to the end of the podcast, we'll kind of roll it out now. We'll kind of end this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, finally, a little more in depth about WandaVision, uh, mm-hmm. who we are now four episodes in. As this comes out, episode five will be airing or, you know, dropping on Disney+. Plus. What do you guys think of WandaVision? Uh, I'll first say that I, you know, I, I was excited just with the trailer that had been shown and the the promotional material, which was uh, sitcom. And uh, these are characters who have had strange sort of uh, histories and in the Marvel universe. And I'd say, I, honestly, one of them being Wanda had one of the weakest. Um, her accent has changed from movie to movie. I mean, a Russian accent to no accent whatsoever. Uh, really strange things like that her not having quite as strong of a, a sort of path, like say the the Captain Americas and Iron Mans and, and right. things of that nature. I mean, that could be for a number of reasons. She kind of came in uh, at a different wave than some of the founding <laughs> MCU members, right? So, but this material I was very excited about. And I can honestly say that this has been one of the coolest roller coaster rides I've ever had. Um, especially with the idea that we haven't been, we haven't had Marvel material in a year, a calendar year, a real calendar year, not like, uh, you know, half. It was legitimately we we went uh, an entire year without Marvel, and this was a a welcome return in a long form that we aren't used to. So I'm excited. If this is an indication yeah. of what's to come. These unique, this unique voice that kind of came out of this, this sort of, this feels like an isolated story. And then we find out, you know, what we're going to talk about later. But this feels very unique. We haven't seen anything like this before. We haven't seen anything that has this scale, this tone. And I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it was not only after a year of no Marvel, but it was a year when Marvel was kind of turning the page, you know, so it's almost like a year that they needed to do the Black Widow movie and maybe set up some future things that we don't know yet. Um, And I don't mean to judge these movies based on what they set up. I just still feel like Black Widow is going to feel a little bit like an also ran in the midst of all this other stuff that's going on. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be proven wrong by that movie when it comes out. But, you know, the Eternals was supposed to have come out last fall. I think we were supposed to get... uh, were we going to get a... No, it's a Spider-Man movie. Was it just going to be two Marvel movies last year that we were going to get? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so uh, uh, putting a capper on an old character and getting new characters, all that was supposed to happen around the time this show, these shows were finding their way. And I think they were supposed to start coming out in the 
fall of last year and it was going to be falcon and winter soldier that was going to come out first it almost feels like this show is the better option though because it is such a bolt from the blue of something different and it does have people talking in a way that honestly i feel like the mandalorian sort of manages that sometimes um but this show feels like i mean it's all over my feed when it comes out so much so that i actually have to to avoid reading uh, too much or looking too hard because, you know, you'll see a, a character mentioned that you're like, oh, and this was the week. I guess let's get spoilery. We're at the end of the episode. Folks, you can hop off if you haven't been keeping up with WandaVision. But this was the week where they really stepped outside what the marketing has been showing us. And I don't know if you guys looked at that clip I sent you of the the marketing for the next episode that is out today when this episode comes out that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're marketing it differently now because now they can, they can tip their hand a little bit more about what they yeah. have. Have. This is more like the real trailer for the concept, you know, yeah. whereas before they were teasing us. And I think last time we talked about this uh, from having this, seen the first couple of episodes, I said, I like that Marvel's getting to do this, that Marvel's getting to sort of string us along a little bit because I think they've got the goods. They've got, you know, again, the acting, the 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 style of the show has been so rewarding and so fun that like. I wonder if this is a much better way back into this world that we didn't get any of last year than the Falcon and the Winter Soldier storyline, which might be more grounded and less kind of mind blowing. You know, this is really something something different. And I'll double what you said, Ronald. This is a great payoff for what comics fans know about Scarlet Scarlet Witch as a character, just that she's she has been kind of unfulfilled in terms of her potential by what we've seen in the movies. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I really think this peeling back of the layer to see that we don't know fully what's going on, but we know that the world that they're in, this sitcom world, is somehow at least augmented by Wanda's magic and that she's apparently doing some kind of coping with with trauma, a traumatic experience. There's my buzzword again. Um, coping with trauma by creating this false reality. Uh, so the questions we have now are much more like, well, wait, how real is the vision then? And is there some other force behind this that's making her do this or taking advantage of her? But, you know, seeing uh, uh, Jimmy Park and... Um, is it Jim Park, James Park? What's his name? Uh, Randall, Park? Randall Park. Randall Park. Actor's name. The character's name is Jimmy Wu, right? <clears throat> Jimmy Wu. Right, right. Yeah. Seeing Randall Park and um, and uh, what's her name, Cat Dennings, you know, pop Dennings. up in this kind of uh, commentary, like their little comments about what's happening here. It's like, oh, it's a sitcom with two Avengers in it. It's like that's the line that belonged in the trailer at the beginning, but they couldn't, they couldn't do that. And I loved that they yeah. finally got to have that meta moment that didn't break the world because you know it still feels grounded, and I love. Heck, those characters, people are saying they'd watch a show with uh, Kat Dennings and uh, and uh, Randall Park. And I mean, you know, you say that about every character in the Marvel Universe. It's a little silly, but I do think right. they seem to know what they're doing, I guess is my point, with this expansion of the storyline. And it actually feels like something kind of maybe more exciting uh, than, than, again, Black Widow, which would have been the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think after that last episode, you know, kind of being able to that's kind of the episode you need to get to. You know, I feel like, you know, we were definitely in on the series from one through three. I really, I really kind of was enjoying the decade approach, these sitcoms and like, kind of, or at least what they perceived to be these decades of sitcoms and like kind of sort of seeing like little cracks in these narratives or in these stories that we're in, mm-hmm. you know, little glitches in the matrix or, you know, whatever, whatever they were. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- this was a really interesting episode and, and it really, it's kind of like, for the MCU fan, you know, again, we're talking spoilers right now. So if you haven't seen episode four of WandaVision, you know, stop the pod, check it out, come back later. Stop but, the know, pod! The- stop the pod! <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 
I think just the idea that they could really kind of tie in. You you have that moment, you know, with uh, you know seeing another experience on the other side of the snap, you know, or the event, you know, from mm. from Infinity War and, and Endgame and, and things like that. You you see, you know, another build out of the world, um, you know, with characters that we we don't we don't know or we didn't know then, you know, at least and and you know, kind of what their impact would be on the MCU as a, as a, as a whole. So you know, to kind of see characters um, like Rambo and like you know, Jimmy Woo and and Kat Dennings' character kind of talk about post snap and like you know and sword talk about like you know the protocol that they've created for like people coming out of it or you know people returning from it um that was just like you know it's just like a whole nother layer that they've been able to add to the mcu i was and, giddy you know, i was out, giddy when they did that steve i was like yeah. i was sitting there going oh this is like, so neat that we're getting to see this you know that's a great way to yeah. introduce that character back into the time stream kind of you know yeah and it's just a create. It's just. Like a, I mean, we we always talk about it, and like they're so good at what they do. It's like the best thing out there, you know. Your taste in whatever film, whatever that that was standing, like the way they handle it all is just phenomenal. Like in terms of yeah. production and things like that, there's nothing done better right now. I don't, in my personal opinion, in movies than the way that Feige handles the MCU. Um, yeah, so it's like a giddy moment. It's just an exciting moment to be like, oh, like I know what happened after the snap. Oh, they showed stuff in Ant-Man and the Wasp and they showed stuff, you know, in Spider-Man Homecoming and they showed, you know, or Far From Home. And, you know, there's lots of perspectives that we got to see in a world that was after this happened. Yeah. Um, But this one specifically feels really significant because um, in some ways, even more than what we've seen elsewhere, just because... Um, you, you get to see how it impacts characters that we've never seen before. Yeah. And, um, and, and then how that intertwines with the character that we have spent a lot of time with, with, with Scarlet Witch, with Wanda, and um, this version of, of Vision and, and these characters that are living inside of, of this bubble that she's created. I think one of the coolest things in the episode that I really loved was like, you know, when they're making that board of like the people playing the roles that she's created in this, in this bubble. That is just like that shit is just awesome to me. Like the fact that they've gone through and like they figure out a way to find who these real people are. Um, just like a little detail, you know, that I think is just so smart. And then I'm sure we'll come back up over these episodes. Um, and I'm sure those think those those names that you're hearing, you know, these people's names and this board that we've seen. Um, I'm sure Jimmy will will have more to say about you know what who these people are and and why these people. Um, I don't know, just expands on the whole thing of like, I think the whole mystery of it is handled so well. And I think that is kind of what keeps you coming back. And I think that now that you, like you said, John, like they've kind of gotten past the point of like, it's not just this like episode weekly decade thing. It's like, oh, it's like broken now. And we, we kind of know what's going on sort of. And it's like, there's gotta be something more sinister at play or some factor in it that is more sinister it's just a matter of or who or what or or where it is. So yeah. so does that little flash of the vision with with his his dead face, his dead head, yeah, with his the with missing his, stone, with yeah. his missing stone, but also he looked kind of like he was. I mean, that was that was that guy was gone. That was does, haunting. Does that mean that 
she's reanimated his dead body with magic or was that just like a conceptual flash that she knows he's dead and so she was seeing that because he seems to have free will of his own he seems yeah. to be like acting yeah. opposite her now they could make an argument yeah. that he's somehow some manifestation of some subconscious thing of hers but i almost think it'll be narratively unsatisfying if his presence in the story is completely a projection um that fits a storyline if she you know if this is a traumatic Thing, coping mechanism right. of hers but i don't know i didn't know if you guys had any thought about what the state of the vision is because one of the things they showed in the trailer for this week which again if people watched wandavision before they're listening to the show they have they officially know more than we do so we're like wanda trapped inside our our false reality we don't know they're outside um but um we don't know if in that episode that trailer showed vision trying to kind of push through the barrier so I'm wondering, what if he walks through that barrier and gets to the other side and he's just he's just zombie vision and he just falls down because he's outside the magic? I don't know. But he seems like he's he is a separate entity or some kind of physical being. So I, I find it uh, that that to me is somebody's one of the, like playing him. Well, that's one of the well, or just the one of the bigger. Right. It could be somebody playing him or there is some manifestation of him that's really real. That is that has come back through her. You know, I don't doubt that he might be dead at the end of this series, but I also could believe they can use this series to find a way to bring Paul Bettany in some form back into the world because the vision is a weird magical character who's a kind of a robot there's so many ways he can be brought you know in the comic thinking he's been brought back different ways before so they can have him back but I, to me that's the biggest yeah. question is like what's up with vision and of course the other question of like who's behind it all but yeah it's it's just fun to see this this like her power you really are seeing how reality bending her power could be um and you know if she goes off the deep end you see the kind of damage she could do so it, it is it's, yeah. it's 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 cool and it's a little creepy that you know it's creepier than the other marvel stuff has been um if it's true what they've said that this sets up dr strange uh in the multiverse of madness is that what it's called um yeah. i could see how the kind of creep factor of this show could get amped up to be you know genuinely disturbing or at least as disturbing as they want a four quadrant movie to be yeah i think yeah. the villain is the the acting head of sword the whatever division monica rambo's in you think he seems too act- much of a decent kind of bland well, guy he said acting and i think that's a part of the whole thing i know that's like a simple thing to say but i think it's an entendre i think he's like i'm i'm acting like i'm this person when i'm ex- actually god and he stabs somebody see what but- if he's not the villain on this show but he turns out to be a scrawl later oh, oh, they could start laying in those scrawl characters right now that would be really cool but yeah. i was gonna say one of the things that i think is really cool i mean you you touched on a little bit steve but the idea of like um you see um randall park's character who is in uh ant-man um the passage of time was shown in ant-man so if you've seen that movie and you're familiar with that character then you're familiar with the way that time works during the snap and there's something really cool about uh, Endgame and Ant-Man and the passage of time. And then they're being like, remember how that worked? Here's the daughter of this person. You remember that kid from Ant-Man? She grew up a little bit. So there's a passage of time. So you understand the way things work. They don't try to present a concept to you that's existed for a while, that isn't grounded in anything that we have seen, we hadn't seen before. Right. You know, it's not like... Yep. You know, you don't look at something and are like, it was this all along. It was not this. And then it morphs into something else. It just has always been in front of you. And I think that's so cool, man. Um, are we 
looking at the devil. I mean, people have theories that the devil is there. Is it Lefisto? Mephisto, um, yeah. The kind of yeah, demonic people character have, from the comics. Yeah, people have theories that that demonic character is uh incarnated as as some some character in the in the world. Um some believe it's Randall Park, which is very interesting. Um uh, yes, that's the that so I've heard that many places that he could be the person all along and he's gonna just be like Brah! I'm evil. And then it seems like a weird him. use of his character, you know, when they've so yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah when so they brought weird. him into this role, especially because they gave him that great uh, card snap moment. I like, love that. That, he, that was that such he a, learned that. Uh, yeah. I mean, talk about a callback. You're right, Ronald. Moments like that, they seed things in, they pay it off. Right now, they've seeded so many things in that they can pay off, and they're smart about calling back things that make it seem like they set it up, even if they didn't. So it's yeah, they're in a really good place. And yeah, what you said, Steve, about the management of these properties. I you know I hate to say properties and management when I'm talking about stories that I love and characters that I love, but you do sort of trust that they're going somewhere and you do sort yeah. of trust that that you're going to be satisfied at the end of this series and yet you're also yeah. going to be going, oh man, I can't wait to see where that goes now, you know? And that's a, yeah. a lot of people are trying to do that and not doing it as well. And failing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you say management because we have seen mismanagement. Yes. We've yeah. seen it fail on a real level and we... We've... We talked about it earlier in this podcast. We talked about the Snyder Yes. <laughs> Yes. And yeah. we're see we're seeing it kind of move. So I guess in terms of I, I guess we have a snapshot, we have four episodes. Are you confident about, you know, this show and then Falcon and the Winter Soldiers next? How you guys feeling with with four episodes into our first Disney Plus Marvel MCU situation? How do you feel about the shows that come? I'm pumped. Yeah. 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 I'm in. I'm in. I mean, and it's like, going to be straight through. It, like basically, when this ends, it's a no-brainer. Falcon and Winter Soldier kicks in, and when that Crazy. ends, you got Loki coming in. So it's like if they can keep this, you know, this what this management of these yeah. of these properties and franchises, mm -hmm. uh, if if they can keep that going, yeah, then it's it's great to get that weekly dose of this flavor that I missed. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and this had to come out before. Uh, uh, Black Widow, right? They they said that there's something about this movie, I mean, something about this show that had to come out before Black Widow. So That's, I don't. Black Widow was originally going to come out long before this, though. So I wonder, yeah, but yeah, some, yeah. Yeah, something's different about something's happening. They said that the 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 order I, has changed because is of it something. that Florence I, Pugh's character is in Winter Soldier? I think, I think that's, that's what it is. That's what I heard. I think that's what it is. Um, is in what? Is oh, in Winter you mean Soldier. Falcon? I think. I think. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, that's. Yeah. Right. So they had to. Gotcha, so gotcha. the order had to change a little bit because of it. But that. I mean, that makes sense. And then. Well, I also saw. I also saw like. So this would be Tuesday, or maybe it was this morning on Wednesday morning. Somebody there was an article that uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen had said that there's like a really big. Uh, cameo, whatever type deal at the end of this. Uh, oy, oy, oy. At the end of this season, that's kind of like they were talking about it in relation to to uh, Luke popping up at the end of uh, season two of the Mandalorian. That apparently some big character from the MCU. So who do you think it could be? It, it could it could be Doctor Strange. Yeah. I, I don't know who. It seems like it's him, but I mean that seems especially because they've been so forthcoming about like the tie-in right. to yeah. the next film, but. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm excited to see what it is. Fantastic Four. That's my that's my theory. Because the sort. So you always go big with your theories, Ronald. 
<laughs> well, this is why. Because sword, so shield is on the ground. Maybe, maybe we should put some more ice cream on this. Uh, we should. Ice cream we've never okay. eaten. And now who knows when we will yeah, ever be able I know. to. <laughs> We're double down on this shit. So, so here's my double theory. Shield is on the ground. Sword is in the air. And I think that it's going to have something to do with the Fantastic Four and whatever. Because they can use the word mutants now. They couldn't before. What's going to happen with that? There's going to be some mutants. We're going to see some mutants created. I don't know when they'll do that, but I do believe that what you said, Steve, I kind of... So your vote's for Fantastic Four. I think we have two Doctor Stranges and a Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. feel like that's the most... Like I, It will excite me, even if I'm expecting it, because it could be done well. But they, they sort of yeah. have alluded to, like, like you said, the fact that they've been upfront about it being a setup for that movie feels like, you know that's who you would expect for it to be. And also he seems like the guy who would come in and clean up this kind of mess um, if he was available. So I'd um, really like if Dr. Doom was the next big villain like Thanos, that would be fucking amazing. Well, they can lay in Dr. Doom references now. What if they yeah. bring in um, uh, Dr. Strange at the end of the season, but they digitize like Mark Hamill's face really awkwardly onto his and it's not convincing. <laughs> And it wrecks the drama of the scene. <laughs> just a little bit. And he, and there's no light hitting his face whatsoever. It's just porcelain white skin and no reaction to lighting whatsoever. And then you just cut to a, a, a sweaty Pedro Pascal <laughs> acting his face off and then cut back to the Marvel characters. <laughs> that would be great. Yes, it would be awesome. Yeah. That'd be a surprise. So, yeah. I, I I'm curious what it is or who it is. I mean, yeah, it seems like it. The the the, the logic is strange, but you know maybe something crazy is out there like Fantastic Four. Maybe. Yeah. Um. So that's all we yeah. know now. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. We'll, we'll be watching episode five as this episode drops. So I'm sure. Yeah. We'll talk more. <clears throat> talk more about it next week. Um. Do you guys have anything else you want to mention real quick before we wrap up? I think that's it for me. You guys have anything? No. I wanted to just throw out a quick recommendation. I, I finally got around to seeing a movie called Save Yourselves. Oh. Um, have you guys seen this? I've seen it's Hulu, right? That's yeah, the, it's on Hulu. I've seen like the little you know splash page for it. I've, it's trying That's, to make me watch it. I should check it out. The end of the world it's thing. <laughs> Is that the it's end trying of to make you watch it? <laughs> uh, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. It end of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, it's John Reynolds and. Uh, from Search Party and mm. Sunita Mani from um, Glow. They basically just play like this couple that decide to kind of go off the grid, get rid of their, you know, turn their cell phones off, go live out in this, like, or rent this cabin out for a week. <clears throat> and when they cho choose to do that, like, Earth is invaded by these, like, alien creatures. And, you know, it's kind of like the catch up to that. I don't know. I, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really good. I think the, again, kind of sort of falls apart towards the end because I was like going two thirds into this movie like this might be one of my favorite movies of the year oh wow and then it kind of like because it was just super funny like it was really kind of consistently funny mm. and a lot of really great jokes about like just I don't even know millennial culture just like you know the, that that type of per the type of couple that they play in the movie um, but it was just very funny it kind of again wobbles towards the end it still ends pretty good but I would recommend that it every anybody has Hulu, it's uh it's on there now. It's called it's called Save Yourselves. Okay. And uh, the other one I wanted to mention is called I saw Synchronic, which is um, Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, who did like The Endless was I think the last movie they did. 
um, with uh, this one is Jamie Dornan and uh, uh, Falcon himself, Anthony Mackie. Mm. Um, they kind of like these these two guys. They just got announced as doing some of the episodes of the Moon Knight series on Disney Plus, um, tying back into Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but um, if you've seen any of their other movies, um, definitely recommend it. It's one of their more mainstream and more accessible. Like they kind of do a lot of trippy, heady sci-fi kind of drama-y stuff. Um, this one basically is about a designer drug that when you take it based on the physical location that you take it, like it kind of transports you to another point in time that oh. that, that happens um, in that location. And they kind of, it's really cool how they explain it. Like they basically like, explain it like the tracks on a record how like they're all spinning at the same time and the needle kind of jumps from one to the next oh. and uh this drug kind of takes them to these places um or takes one of them to these places but uh i really liked it actually and um i've liked most of the stuff that they've made so i, I would definitely recommend that as well that's on like a lot of the pvod services um but that again is called synchronic um but yeah those are the two other things that i checked out this week this wanted to bring up on the podcast yeah i'll check them out cool. If you guys are good, um, we're going to wrap this up. Movieshmovie.com is the site. Facebook.com slash Movieshmovie. And uh, you can subscribe on any podcast platform. Um, you should be able to. And if you can't, let us know. If you do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, please leave a, a star rating. Or maybe if you're feeling generous, even a worded review. It would be uh, greatly appreciated. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, next time we come back, like I said, we'll talk next week. We'll probably discuss a little bit about WandaVision, maybe catch up a little bit. Some of the episodes that have come out on Servant Season 2 um, as a quick recap. And then I'm sure we'll come up with something between now and then um, to talk a little bit more. Uh, next week, I'm sure we'll be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which is the next big HBO Max title next week. Um, but I think that'll wrap it up for Episode 285. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, too, for talking again you, a, another week in a row with yeah, with, man. with me and and on this podcast and uh as always you've made our day thanks Bye.